All right, so I'm going to read from Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, just to get us started. We're going to talk a little bit about the gospel. And in Romans 3, starting in verse 9, Paul's writing and he says, What then are we better than they? Now here he's talking about unrighteous Jews. That's what this whole section is about. So we could say unrighteous Jews, that's what this is addressed to. Are we better than they? So he's talking to Gentiles here. He says, For not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin, as as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands, there is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside together, they have become useless. There is none who does good, there's not even one. Their throat is an open grave, with their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay. We're, um, we're in Romans chapter 3. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness, because in the forbearance of God passed over the the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of His righteousness at the present time, so that He would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So here we see that all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God, and there is nothing that we can do to become righteous. This says that no one even seeks after God. And so this goes on, and it, it talks about how that the law, all it does is it shows us and exposes to us our depravity. It shows us our need to have a Savior. And so, and then it, it talks about how Jesus Christ came. He was the one that came to be a propitiation. That means that he came to satisfy um, what God demanded, which was death. Um, and that's what Christ did. He came and he died for our sins. And God was fully satisfied with Jesus Christ dying so that we could be made right before a holy God because that's the only way there's nothing we can do to earn our salvation there's nothing that we can do um, to to be impressive to God and that's what all world religions teach other than the one true religion which is ours which is Christianity we believe that as this says here that we can only be saved through faith and that's only through Jesus Christ through Jesus Christ so this is a wonderful passage to look at in Romans chapter 3. We always want to start out talking about the gospel, because it is the ocean we swim in. We talked a little bit about that last week. And so now let's jump back into our study and what we were talking about last week. Um, last week we finished up um, the Nicene Creed. We talked. To, uh, we finished our study up on it. That took a couple of a week and a half to do, mm-hmm. and then we started talking about um, church history that led up to the Chalcedonian Creed and what was going on. And so you can see on the board, I've put on here pretty much everything that we've studied for the last pretty much four weeks. 
So there's a reason we've been kind of be going slow at this pace. We've been taking a, a very slow pace. We started out talking about philosophy, and really this is where I say that philosophy and theology kind of meet. Is, um, I mean, we know that, it, that theology and philosophy met with John when he talks about the Word becoming flesh, which was Logos. Um, and also we see it at Mars Hill with Paul. And, and we saw philosophy and theology come into play in um, the Nicene Creed. And so what we talked about is Parmenides, he's the, he was uh, before Christ, he was in B.C., he said whatever is, is. What he was talking about was a state of unchangeableness or being. And this is what Plato kind of put together, by the way. But we're kind of summarizing. So, a state of unchangeableness or being. And so what makes up a being? He said there has to be something that is in a state of being that does not change. Um, there has to be something out there that isn't sustained by water or oxygen or food. It has to be true being. It has to exist without any other source to cause it to exist. That's what he called being. Okay? State of being. So what makes up a being? So this is where we talked about nature. The word usios. This was another word that we talked about in our study. This is a Greek word that means nature. Synonym is essence or substance. This is an important word. So what makes up a being? In other words, the nature of God. What is God's nature? Is God monarchianism? We talked about that last week. What monarchianism is? Or actually, I think it was a couple weeks ago that we talked about this. Which is what Jehovah's Witnesses believe. Um, Arianism. Um, we talked a, a little bit about adoptionism and all those things that kind of fall under monarchianism. Or, and that's what the Nassim creed was dealing with, or is God a trinity? So is the nature of God something that is this or something that's this? Right? So we talked about that and we discovered, you know, that this was clarified that God is one in usios or nature. Um, essence, nature, substance, right? That's the word usios. So he's one in substance, is, is what the original creed said. And three in subsistence or persons, which was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So this was kind of what we covered on uh, Parmenides. And then we talked about the nature of man, which is what Heraclitus taught. Whatever is, is changing a state of change, is what he talked about, or becoming. He's the one that said, um, the same man can't step into the same river twice. Because the river is always changing, and man's aging, even if it's by seconds. So, <clears throat> what Plato did was he put together being and becoming, and he said, you know, there can't be anything that is a becoming, which is something that it has to have something that sustains it, water, oxygen, food, all these things, but there has to be something in the state of being, if there's anything in the state of becoming. There has to be this. This has to exist, or there can't be that, right? So that's what Plato taught. So that's what we're kind of talking about so far. Um, any questions on that? So, what makes up a becoming? Usios, which remember means nature, synonym, essence or substance. Soul, body, we call it a dichotomy, dichotomy, which is man. Okay? So this is where we're talking about when we get to the, the Chalcedonian Creed, when he says that God is truly God and truly man. This is talking about his natures how he added the nature of man to himself, if that makes sense. And so then, this all dealt with the Nicene Creed, and then we started dealing with the nature of Christ, the, na the Son, right? Which is where we're dealing, what's where we're at now, the Incarnation. So, it was Jesus, when he was, became incarnate, when he was born of the Virgin Mary, there's these different views. And this is what the council was dealing with, these heresies. Eutychius, or Monophysitism, or Nestorius, 
or Nestorianism, if you remember that from last week, this is what we talked about. So Eutychius said that Jesus' humanity was dissolved by his divine nature like a drop of honey into the sea. And so what the church said was, this makes Jesus to be something entirely different. Kind of like jello, right? Powder and water. You put them together and it makes something different. So they said this is a heresy, right? And then we started dealing with Nestorius and Nestorianism. He said that Jesus was fully God, fully man, like a light switch. Um, he either turns on the nature of God when he needs it, and then whenever he's done with it, he turns it off and he's back to the nature of man, right? And we talked about how um, that if something's full, my awesome artwork with the glasses, if something's full to the top, there's no room for anything else in it. So this is either a contradiction, right? It's either a contradiction, or you have to believe Nestorius, who says these are two natures that are turned on like a light switch, or else it's a contradiction, right? So the church comes in and says, no, you're wrong, and you're wrong. God is vera deus, truly God. Vera homo, which means what? Truly man. Truly man, right. So this is pretty much kind of everything that we've talked about the last four weeks kind of summarized. I thought that might help. Is that, is that helpful? Mm -hmm. Okay. Any questions on this? If there's any questions, let me know. Okay. All right, so this is just kind of a quick summary of what we've talked about so far, and I hope this all kind of makes sense now, since I've kind of got it all wrote out, and how that we got over to here to truly God, truly man. Uh, it's kind of a long explanation, and, and it is where philosophy and theology meet, and it really is. Um, that's kind of where we, we got some of these terms, and you'll start seeing some of these terms um, kind of play out. Now, we, we went through um, the, the uh, Nicene Creed, and we read through the Chalcedonian Creed, but we want to talk a little bit more about it just to kind of clarify some stuff in here. This is really my favorite creed. Um, I absolutely love this creed. I think it's really um, a, it's a good fence that that the church has put around the natures of Christ, the two natures of Christ, that has really never been improved upon. Um, there's been some stuff that has come out since then um, that 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 kind of um, use more words. It's wordier. Um, to explain the nature of Christ, that that's okay. They, they they did a pretty good job on some stuff. Um, Ligonier's got one out now. It's called. Um, I've actually got a copy of it. I think in my, in my, in my bag. And if you guys want a copy of it, you can, because it's actually a really good creed. I've got a bunch of them. The Word made flesh, and this is a modern creed about the nature of Christ, and it's excellent. It's really good. Me and the boys have gone through it just as a Bible study. So if you guys want a copy of it, grab one. Uh, but it's a, it's a good one. And then it's modern, but it really doesn't improve upon the, the Chalcedonian Creed. Um, it doesn't really improve on it. So if we remember last week, we talked about how that there was 520 bishops that came together um, for this, to, to put this creed together. They were fighting... Nestorianism and Monophysitism, right? Which was from Eutyches. So if you remember that from last week. Now let's, if you, um, if you want to just kind of follow along, and we're going to talk a little bit about the, um, the Chalcedonian Creed, kind of like we did the, um, the uh, Nicene Creed, but we're not going to go as in-depth as we did with, with that one. Uh, but I just want to point a few things out. So it says, we then, following the Holy Fathers, all with one consent, teach men to confess one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the same perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood, truly God, that's veri deus, veri homo, truly God, truly man, 
Now this is important for us to understand here, um, and it's often incorrectly labeled today. Um, this fully God, fully man is what we hear most most of the time. I mean, even if you go online and look at some well-educated um, preachers and and teachers, they're going to probably say fully God, fully man. And it's because they don't understand all of this. They haven't put all the research into why that, that, that these words are so important when it says truly God, truly man. Right? So, um, veradeus, uh, the Greek word used, which means truly God, very, very homo, um, which means truly man. This shows, of course, that Jesus has two natures, right? Two natures. That's why we, that we say two natures. One is, you know, God nature, which is, is, is over here, and man, man nature. Um, so, remember that we talked about how that when we are dealing with God, there will never be a contradiction, right? There's never a contradiction, and that's why that I say this is a contradiction. If you say fully, fully, that's a contradiction unless you believe in Nestorianism. It just, it, it just is. Um, can't be full and full in the same, you know, A can't be A and non-A at the same time and in the same relationship. So God, Jesus can't be fully God and fully man at the same time and in the same relationship. That's a contradiction, right? So that's why that they used these words, truly God, truly man, totally different totally different meaning so and I'm not gonna I would I would never correct someone for saying that because so many people say it you know I, I don't think that it's something I'm not gonna break out into explaining the story in his you know if somebody says fully God fully man I'm just gonna you know right on you know right on just because it's not because I, I don't think people understand this so they're if you don't understand this you are you really you know spewing out heresy um, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think if you understood this, then you are. Uh, you are spewing out heresy. And so that's that's the difference, you know. So, um, so um, it says, the next part of this creed says, of a reasonable, rational soul and body. So in other words, Jesus was born truly man. A true man has a body and soul, a dichotomy that we talked about over uh, right here. Dichotomy. Jesus, um, truly man, he has a rational soul and body. Rational soul and body. He's consubstantial or coessential with the Father according to the Godhead and co-substantial with us according to the manhood. So uh, consubstantial con means of the same substance or essence. Right. So, in other words, one in essence, and three, in subsistences or persons, is basically what this is saying. In all things, like unto us, without sin. So Jesus Christ was without sin because he was not passed on Adam's nature um, through a human father. So that's why that Jesus Christ, um, his, he, he didn't have a human father. If, if he would have had a human father, if Jesus would have had Adam as his father that was passed on, then Adam's sin would have been passed on to him, right? So that's why that this is important for us to understand that Christ was born sinless. He wasn't, he wasn't born with the sin nature. He was born exactly like Adam was created. He's, he, that's why that he's called the last Adam, right, in Scripture. Or some people say the second Adam. So that means sin does not go through the woman, but through the man? <sighs> Well, that's a good. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a good point. Yeah, I, I believe that it does mean that because of Romans chapter five. Romans chapter five talks about how that Adam's sin was passed on to all of his offspring. So. And Romans chapter 5 is a great, great chapter. Great chapter if you want to take a look at that sometime. Rick, was you going to say something? No, I'm just amazed. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty big. It's, pretty, it's, a, it's a big concept, so it's hard for us to understand. So, 
Uh, where was I? In all things like unto us without sin. Okay. Begotten before all ages of the Father according to the Godhead. So Jesus was perfectly united with the Father before the creation of time. We see that here. Um, they've always existed together perfectly. Another thing that blows my mind because if they existed perfectly and they're without want, they're without need, um, then why did they make us? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Why did they make us? And so that's amazing how the God's attributes spills over into his creation. And so we are made so that God's attributes are spilled out upon something else because God is 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 so vastly huge. So that's that's kind of what this is talking about that they existed perfectly united together. It says, and in these latter days for us and for our salvation, born of the Virgin Mary. So Jesus was born in these latter days for us and for our salvation. We see uh, he was born of a Virgin Mary, so he didn't have a human father. So that sin nature was not passed on. And then this term here, the mother of God, according to the manhood. This is a big term. The mother of God. And there's a reason that they said the mother of God. Because this is fighting Nestorianism. Because Nestorianism, um, he said that uh, Mary gave birth only to Christ, but not to God. That's what he said. That Mary, so remember, he has a schizophrenic Jesus, right? It's like a light switch, a schizophrenic. So he couldn't, so Jesus, he, Jesus had to be one or the other when, whenever he was born, according to Nestorius. Um, and so he um, kind of highlights his humanity, is what Nestorius was doing. And so um, this is one of the huge uh, topics that the Council, of, uh, the Council of Chalcedon was fighting. Is, is, is Jesus the mother of Christ or um, a Christ bearer or was, Jesus, or, or was Mary the mother of God? Was Mary the mother of Christ, or was Mary the mother of God? I know it sounds crazy, but this was literally what they were fighting over. It was literally what they were fighting over. And so, if you, Nestorius was, um, he was highlighting the humanity of God, and where the Chalcedonian Creed um, was highlighting both, the hypostatic union that we're talking about here. So that's why that, um, that this language was put in, um, because of what Nestorius was teaching. Uh, so that's why that they say the mother of God according to the manhood. And that's, a, that's another big old long, like hour long topic that we, we can cover in historical theology. But just so, so you'll know that, that there's a reason even for this that, that says the mother of God. Um, the next line says, One and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten. So the creed goes on to, and explains what is meant by the mother of God. So that's what this is talking about. Jesus is Christ, showing his humanity and that he is the Messiah, right? Jesus is the son, showing that he is the second member of the Trinity that we talked about over here. And Jesus is Lord, showing that he is the Kairos. And we, we keep bringing that word up, Kairos, right? That's... Um, that's the, the Greek word for the Lord. And we talked about what that meant last week. Um, it means, um, kairos means he to whom a person or a thing belongs to, right? So, uh, has a, uh, that which has power over a person or the possessor of a, a thing or a person. So Jesus is begotten. Uh, we talked about monogenous was the Greek word. The only one of its kind is what it means by begotten. That Jesus was the only one of his kind um, within a specific relationship, which was this relationship here within the Trinity. Okay, So I think you guys probably remember that. We talked about that two or three weeks ago. Uh, to be acknowledged in two natures. So we got the God nature and the man nature, right? And then comes the four, what's called the four negatives of the creeds, uh, of this creed. So these are, these are c called the four negatives. 
uh, inconfusedly, which means without mixture, um, this fights, what, what does this fight without mixture or inconfusedly between these two heresies? Is it Nestorianism or is it Monophysitism if it's without mixture or inconfusedly? This one, yeah, exactly. Uh, the next word says unchangeably. So this means without confusion. So what, what is that? What is that fight? Also this one, right? Because this confuses the nature of Christ. It's conf it confuses the nature of Christ. So we can't overemphasize Jesus' Jesus's human nature uh, at the expense of his divine nature. So uh, the next word says indivisibly, uh, which means without division. Without division. Now, who divided the nature of Christ between these two? Yeah, divided the nature of Christ. That's right. So indivisibly, inseparably, uh, with, in, without separation. So the same thing, right? Historianism. So you can see how these words are fighting these two things. Right? Mm -hmm. Right? Okay. So, and then it says, the distinction of natures being by no means taken away by the union, but rather the property of each nature being preserved and concurring in one person and one subsistence, not parted or divided into two persons, but one and the same Son and only begotten God the Word the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is kind of a summary of all that has been said so far. Uh, the God nature gives up none of its attributes in Christ, and the human nature gives up none of its at attributes either. So um, now there is another heresy that I think what what was just said here in this last um, section. There's a a heresy that's been around for um, for a long time. It really started in the Middle East. And it's called kenosis. It's not one of these. This came. This came much later, but this this um, fights the what's called kenosis or the kenosis the the kenosis heresy. Has anybody ever heard of kenosis? Okay, so kenosis is taught by um, any church that's like a new apostolic church. Uh, New Apostolic Reformation, or NAR Church. So churches like Bethel in Redding, California with Bill Johnson. Um, they teach this. Um, so does Todd White. Todd White teaches kenosis. Pretty much anybody that's associated um, with the New Apostolic Reformation teaches kenosis. And what that means is that when Jesus was incarnate, um, that he emptied himself of his God. Of, of being truly God. So you can cross out if there were, it says, Veradeus, and all he was was homo. That's what kenosis is. And so the reason that they say that he emptied himself, is, of course, is because the scripture, you know, that says that he emptied himself of his glory, but it's not talking about he emptied himself of these two natures. But the reason, there's a reason that they say this, and it all has to do with, um, with us as Christians, being able to do greater things than Christ, right? So they take that verse out of context, and they say, well, you know, the Scripture says that we can do greater things than Christ. Well, Christ must have done all of his miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that means you can do all of your miracles just like Christ, and even greater than Christ, um, because Christ emptied himself and relies upon the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. So that's that's called kenosis, and it is a heresy because it, it completely destroys the hypostatic union, right? And there's some there's some consequences to, to this, too, that I kind of want to talk about just for a second. Um, so if, if Nestorius was right, and, I, and this is just kind of an exercise, and Christ was like this, fully God, fully man, like a light switch, turned off and on, what would be the ramifications of that? What would be the ramifications of that? I'll, I'll start. And you guys, I'm sure that some stuff will, will pop in your head. First of all, which nature died on the cross? Mm -hmm. Was he a man when he died on the cross? Or was he God when he died? I mean, which one died on the cross? And even 
in that case, if he was fully God, fully God, fully, all the way to the top, he couldn't die. Impossible for him to die. What's some other consequences of that? You think of anything else? He was fully man, but he couldn't die for our sins. Yeah. He couldn't do something else either, right? Couldn't learn. Right. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't be able to learn, and we see in Scripture that he learns. Right? He learns. There's many, many places in Scripture he learns. So he wouldn't be able to do that if he was both at the same time, right? That that was full to the max. Um, and um, also, Jesus would have had to exist before he was born in the state of manhood because he's fully he's fully God, fully man. At the same time, that switch toggles. Again, if he's flip the switch over here to fully God, then he had to exist before he was born, right? So there's a bunch of things like that that kind of... Um, another thing is he would be incapable of sinning. That's another thing, another consequence. And Jesus was capable of sinning. He was truly man. But he did not sin. He was sinless. Um, he obeyed the law of God perfectly for us because he had to be truly man and truly God according to the Chalcedonians' creed, inseparable. You can't separate those two natures out. So don't, don't read the scriptures and go, oh, this is you know, his um, fully God nature. Oh, this is his fully man nature as you're reading through the Gospels. Because, I mean, you, in your mind you can kind of, you can distinguish them, but be careful not to separate them because you have to remember they're inseparable. They're together, they're tight, they're perfectly tied together, and you cannot separate them. You can't separate those two natures, right? So, if, if that makes sense. So, so that kind of, um, one of the things, too, on these, um, these four negatives, I think I've got some stuff back in your notes. We can, we can jump back into your notes on uh, page 33. Page 33. Um, and one of the things that I noticed when I went back and listened last week, I'm used to teaching the Bible. This is the first time I've ever taught theology. First time. So, But I've taught the Bible for years. And so I'm used to saying verse. And so I've noticed that there's a few times that I say, turn over on verse 33. <laughs> so if I say that, just be like, no, okay, he's used to teaching the Bible. So page 33. Page 33. So I'm, I'll just, um, I'll, I'll start here. It says, when Jesus, in the middle of your page, it should say, when Jesus sweated, it wasn't his divine nature that was sweating. When his side was pierced, his divine nature wasn't pierced. When Jesus said that he didn't know something that was his truly human nature, yet we cannot separate his divine nature from his human nature. So we've already kind of talked about this a little bit, but I I wanted to point out this next part where it says the Chalcedonian Creed is known for what is is, um, referred to as the four negatives of the Creed, uh, or the withouts. Is mixture or inconfusedly confusion or unchangeably division in... Uh, indivisibly and separation inseparably. We've already gone over these, but I just want to point them out and make sure they're in your notes because I think that this is important. Um, And we've already talked about what each one of those are, but negatives are given to reinforce positive statements in theology. And that's one of the things that you should should kind of understand when it comes to the way that theology is written, is there's a lot of times negatives in there that reinforce the positives. And so uh, these are the boundaries that were set forth by the council as to the natures of Christ. Um, On 34 it says, One of the things in which we divide from the Lutheran church is on this very issue in regard to communion. They believe that there is a, a communication of divine attributes to the human nature of Christ that makes it possible for his human body to be in more than one place. This is a monophysite doctrine. 
The human body cannot be in two places at one time. They are mixing or confusing the two natures of Christ. Now, the Ro- Roman Catholic Church also does this with transubstantiation. They also do this. It's also a monophysite uh, heresy. And so uh, I, I'm not going to say that Lutherans in any way are heretical. Uh, I uh, have some good friends that are Lutheran, and, I've, and I believe that they're very orthodox. They're, they're so, most of them, not the liberal. Uh, there's, t- there's different branches of Lutheranism, kind of like there is Presbyterianism. There's, uh, there's liberal branches and there's conservative branches. Um, the conservative branches are pretty solid, but uh, we're going to divide on communion uh, because we, we do not believe this when we take communion because it is the monop- this monophysite heresy. Um, and so, uh, and I think they even understand that. And so, um, you know, we can call them our um, monophysite friends, <laughs> and they they'll probably call us the, our, their Nestorian friends. But we're not. We don't confuse or we don't um, we don't believe this that Jesus was schizophrenic. So, um, <clears throat> but this is one of the things that the Lutheran Church teaches and believes. So. Um, and if you remember, the creed says the distinction of the natures being by no means taken away by the union, but rather the property of each nature being preserved and concurring in one person and one subsistence, not parted or divided into two persons. All right, so the next point says a heresy held today by those that, okay, I've already talked about this too. Apparently, I'm getting really ahead of myself. Uh, this is talking about kenosis, so there it is in your notes. Uh, they teach that. Jesus laid aside his, de- his deity and walked on earth as a man only who relied on the Holy Spirit to perform miracles. Scripture does not teach this. Chalcedon was correct in not allowing this and to believe such as idolatry or creating a Jesus that does not exist, which is one of the things that Brandon talked about today in his message, is how that, um, are you following the right Christ? Because... All it's it's strange that most of the heresies um, after the, this one, after the Nicene Creed, almost all the heresies after this deals with um, the nature of Christ. And so what Satan always tries to do is to confuse us in understanding this, because if he can get us to believe a Christ that does that is not biblical kind of like Brandon talked about in his message today, um, then we are uh, not Christians. We, we cannot say that Jehovah Witnesses are brothers and sisters, just like Brandon said, or um, anybody who believes kenosis, or anybody who, um, um, who believes any, any, of the, any heresies about the nature of Christ. We cannot say that they are brothers and sisters in Christ, because they're not. They believe in a false God. Uh, which distorts the nature, really, of the Trinity. So, <clears throat> uh, as I meant, the next point says, as I mentioned before, we'll get much deeper into Christolo- into Christology in another class. So, I love talking Christology. This is my favorite topic. Um, it's um, the reason it's my favorite topic is because it's important, and it's um, there's there's just so much history and so much. There's so many um, ideas that have come all throughout church history that have tried to to distort that nature. And just getting back to understanding what the Bible teaches about Jesus, I believe is so, so important for us. So I've got a question here. It says, where did the word Trinity come from? Now, I can't, you can't point to a chapter and verse in the Bible, right? For the word Trinity, it's not in there. So where did the word Trinity come from? Does anybody know? From the creeds. Um, n- originally, who did? Where did it come from? Originally. Third century Church of Carthage. It's Latin. <laughs> okay. Trinitas. Okay. 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 Tertullian. 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 Does that say? Does it mention Tertullian in there? That's the first thing I, she said. Yeah, that's the first thing I said. Oh, that's the fir- oh I didn't hear you say yeah. that. Okay. Yeah, Tertullian. Yeah, that's that's correct. Tertullian. Yep. Uh, and Tertullian was A.D. 155 to, to 240 is about when he, when, he, when he lived. So that's where the word Trinity came from. Huh? 
155? Yeah, 155 to 240 is when Tertullian lived. All right, so any questions on this so far? Are we going to go back into the last part of the creed that we didn't talk about? Which part's that? We, we stopped at, uh, we didn't get to the God, the Lord Jesus Christ as the prophets from the beginning. Um, okay. Yeah, as the prophets from the beginning have declared, this is all kind of part of that summary statement that's at the bottom. As the prophets from the beginning have declared concerning him and the Lord Jesus Christ himself has taught us and the creed of the Holy Fathers has handed down to us. So, um, of course, we talked a little bit about this because it's some of the same language that was found in the Nicene Creed. Um, talking about the prophets and um, apostles and where they got their authority and how that scripture was breathed through the Holy Spirit, but still the personalities um, we can see shine through each one of the books of scripture. We talked a little bit about that whenever we were over there. Um, Jesus himself taught us uh, through the Gospels that he is God. That's one of the things Brandon also talked quite a bit about this morning. About he, he read several scriptures about Jesus Christ making the claim that he is God, um, which I thought was great. And, um, and then the, it talks about, and the creed of the Holy Fathers has handed down to us. Now, that word, um, Holy Fathers, that the reason they put that language in there is because um, are we holy? Are, are, are us? So we're, the scripture calls us saints, right? It says um, that we are holy, not because of of our own holiness or righteousness, uh, but God sees us as holy uh, because of the righteousness and holiness of, of Jesus Christ, right? So uh, I think that's correct. We can say that the people that wrote these, this creed, they were holy. Just like I can say that you guys are holy. If you're Christians, you're holy. Um, we may not feel like we're holy and so that's the difference between how we feel and what we actually are right because mm -hmm. there is a difference in the way that we feel and what we actually are I don't feel holy um, but I know Christ Jesus is holy and I know that his holiness has been imputed to me and so I know and I'm confident that when I stand before God one day just as we all will God's going to see the holiness of Christ in me because of the blood of Christ that's been applied, right? Mm -hmm. So that's an important, I think, an important thing for us to see here, too. All right, so um, I actually got through that faster than I thought. <laughs> All right, so it says here, let's look at some ancient creeds and confessions concerning the Trinity. And I've got a note, it says, remember that the word Catholic means universal, not Roman Catholic. So this Athanasius, the Athanasian Creed, um, this was, nobody really knows when it was written. Um, it was probably, there's some, most people think it was during the 5th century that this was written. Um, but there's some that believe it was written in the 7th century. So um, I can't tell you an, a date on this one because <laughs> it's kind of uh, up in the air. There's, there's dispute on it. But I'm going to read some of this, and I think that some of the language, some of the stuff on the board, some of the stuff that we've been talking about is going to start kind of jumping out at you now because you're beginning to understand some of these words and some of these concepts and thoughts. So this, I think, is going to kind of start jumping out when we read through this. It says, Whosoever will be saved... Before all things, it is necessary that he hold the Catholic faith, which faith, except every one, do keep holy and undefiled. Without doubt, he shall perish everlastingly. And the Catholic faith is this, that we worship one God in Trinity, and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons or dividing the substance or being or essence or usios, that was me, I I threw that in there. For there is one person of the Father, 
another of the Son, and another of the Holy Ghost. But the Godhead of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost is all one, the, the glory equal, the majesty co-eternal. Such as the Father is, such is the Son, such is the Holy Ghost. The Father uncreate, uncre the thing was supposed to say un uncreated, the Son uncreated, and the Holy Ghost uncreated. The Father incomprehensible, the Son incomprehensible, and the Holy Ghost incomprehensible. The Father eternal, the Son eternal, the Holy Ghost eternal. And yet they are not three eternals, but one eternal, as also there are not three. They are, there are not three incomprehensibles, nor three uncreated, but one uncreated and one uncomprehensible. So likewise the Father is almighty. The Son is almighty. The Holy Ghost is almighty. And yet they are not three almighties, but one almighty. So the Father is God. The Son is God, and the Holy Ghost is God, and yet they are not three gods, but one God. So likewise, the Father is Lord, the Son Lord, and the Holy Ghost Lord, and yet not three lords, but one Lord. For like as we are compelled by the Christian verity and, and acknowledge every person by himself to be both God and Lord, so are we forbid by the Catholic religion to say, there be three gods or three lords. The Father... Catholic is capitalized. Is that the other kind of Catholic? No, that's probably me with a typo. Uh -huh. Typing this thing out. The Father... And, and if it was, it would say Roman Catholic would be Roman Catholic. Um, there are... Th um, so, is the Father is made of none neither created nor begotten. The Son is of the Father alone, not made nor created, but begotten. The Holy Ghost is of the Father and of the Son, neither made nor created nor begotten, but proceeding. So there is one Father, not three fathers, one Son, not three sons, one Holy Ghost, not three Holy Ghost. And in this Trinity, none is before or after other, none is greater or less than another, but the whole three persons are co-eternal together and co-equal. So you can start seeing when I say it's things get a little more wordy. There's a whole lot more words here that kind of does the same thing that the, that the Chalcedonian Creed does, but it, it does kind of it fine-tunes fine things a little bit. It kind of helps us the way more words sometimes is helpful. It says, so that in all things as is after said, the unity in Trinity and the Trinity in unity is to be worshipped. He therefore will, he therefore that will be saved is must think thus of the Trinity. Furthermore, it is necessary to everlasting salvation that he also believe rightly the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. For the right faith is that we believe and confess that our Lord Jesus Christ the Son of God is God and man, God of the substance of the Father begotten before the worlds, and man of the substance of his mother, born of the of the world. Now, they say perfect God and perfect man instead of truly God and truly man. I don't have a problem with this. I don't I don't have a problem with them saying perfect God and perfect man. I think that's I think that's fine. I think that's good language. Perfect God and perfect man of a reasonable soul and human flesh subsisting equal to the Father as touching his Godhead and inferior to the Father as touching his manhood who although he be God and man yet he is not two but one Christ one not by conversion of the Godhead into flesh but by taking of the manhood into God one altogether not by confusion or substance but by unity of person for as the reasonable soul and flesh is one man so God and man is one Christ who suffered for our salvation descended into hell now this descended into hell should jump out at you from another creed mm -hmm. which is what which one the Apostles Creed right mm -hmm. this is one that jumps out at the Apostles Creed and there's a lot of confusion I'm just gonna stop for a second on that 
There's a lot of confusion on this, um, on the Apostles' Creed and on this one, because they both say the same thing as to what this means. Because we know that Jesus didn't actually descend into hell, and that's not what they meant when they wrote this. When, they, when the Apostles' Creed was written, and whenever this creed, this creed was written, what they meant by this is what kind of what um, that Pastor Brandon was talking about this morning and how that he suffered. They meant that he descended in, into hell while he was alive, before the cross. That's what this means. It, means. it means that he was beaten, his beard was plucked, he was spit on, he was punched, he was blindfolded. He was literally ripped and torn to shreds to the point to where he was unrecognizable. He endured the amount of punishment that most men would die hours into and he lasted he took it and he took it for us and this was like hell on earth and that's what this means so um, there's a lot of confusion whenever it says descended into hell because there is another heresy out there that says that jesus went to hell and paid a ransom for us that's not what scripture teaches and that's not what this creed means i just want to point that out while we're here so you're not confused by this because it is confusing um after the death of Jesus Christ, that, that, that three days thing, I heard that Paul was saying that he, he went to the depths of uh, Hades, something, and, and the, I don't know, somewhere it's there. Yeah, like, yeah. Something like he went to the... Yeah, yeah. And some people, some people say that he went there and was punished. You know that he actually was punished for three days. There's all kinds of stuff that but and we're not going to get real deep into that right now because we're just going to try to get through this creed but i just want to point that out um that that's not that's not what that's talking about rose again the third day from the dead he ascended into heaven he sitteth at the right hand of the father god almighty from whence he will come to judge the quick and the dead and a lot of this sounds like should should sound like the the um uh, the apostles creed too uh, at whose coming all men will rise again with their bodies and shall give account for their own works. And they that have done good shall go into life everlasting, and they that have done evil into everlasting fire. This is the Catholic faith which, except a man believe faithfully, he cannot be saved. Now this creed isn't very well known. Um, this isn't one that a lot of churches really read um, but it's I think it's it's kind of cool to read some of the stuff that was written in history so we can see um, how that they were kept trying to clarify the Trinity and I think it's pretty good I don't have any any real issues with this with this creed at all um, I think it's pretty good um, we've got five minutes but I kind of want to look at the 1689 real quick um, this is the Baptist confession so this, you know, I don't know if you guys knew that the Baptists actually have a confession of faith. <laughs> and it was written in uh, 1689. Mm -hmm. uh, it's called the London Baptist Confession of Faith. That's what it's called. Mm -hmm. And it's an excellent, really excellent confession. Um, but I want to read this too real quick because you're going to start seeing some of this language jump out here too. And there are some typos here too. Um, but try not to try to ignore some of those typos. I'll fix them. <laughs> so it says the Lord our God is but one only living and true God whose substance is in and of himself infant in being word being remember we keep talking about that and perfection whose essence in other words cannot be comprehended but any but himself a more pure spirit invisible without body part without body parts or passions now this is we're going to get into this in a, um, in a few weeks uh, and as to what this means. Without body, and we talked about the simplicity of God. If you remember way back, it was probably like the second, third day, we talked about how that God was at, without body parts um, uh, and or passions. And so we're going to get into that much more deep, especially the passions part later. But without without body parts or passions, who only hath immortality dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto who is immutable which means unchangeable immense eternal incomprehensible almighty every way infinite 
most holy, most wise, most free, most absolute, working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable or unchangeable and most righteous will for his own glory, most loving, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression and sin, the rewarder of them that diligently seek him, and withal most just and terrible in his judgments, hating all sin, and who will by no means clear the guilty. And then jump over, we've got two more on, on page 36. It says, God, having all life, glory, goodness, blessedness, in and of himself, is alone in and unto himself all sufficient. Where Not, hmm? Where are you at? Bottom on 35. Oh. oh. Is it on 35 on yours? In our <laughs> okay. I'm oh, sorry. Um, yeah, I'll have to fix that too. Uh, God having all life, glory, goodness, blessedness in and of himself is alone in and unto himself all sufficient, not standing in need of any creature which he hath made. We talked about that earlier. Nor deriving any glory from them, but only manifesting his own glory in, by, unto, and upon them. So when you start understanding this stuff, it's pretty cool. He is the alone foundation of all being. Remember we talked about that. There can't be a becoming without a being. He is the alone foundation of all being, of whom, through whom, and to whom are all things. And he hath most sovereign dominion over all creatures to do by them, for them, or upon them whatsoever himself pleaseth in his sight. All things are open and manifest. His knowledge is infinite and infallible and independent upon the creature. So as nothing is to him contingent or uncertain, he is most holy in all his counsels and all his works and in all his commands. To him is due from angels and men whatsoever worship, service, or obedience as creatures they owe unto the Creator, and whatsoever he is further pleased to require of them. Man, there's some stuff in there we could really unpack. Verse 3, it says, or not verse 3, number 3 says, In this divine and infinite being, there are three subsistences, the Father, the Word or the Son, the Holy Spirit of one substance, power, and eternity, each having the whole divine essence, yet the essence undivided. The Father is of none, neither begotten nor proceeding. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father. The Holy Spirit, proceeding from the Father and the Son, all infinite without beginning, therefore, but one God who is not to be divided in nature, we've talked about that, and being, but distinguished by several particular relative properties and personal relations, which doctrine of the Trinity is the foundation of all our communion with God and comfortable dependence on Him. I think that is very well stated. I think that is very well stated. Now, back to that original question. You know, can you describe the Trinity <laughs> within an analogy? Is he like an egg? I mean, when you have all these words, I'm really, I'm, I hope, I'm hoping you start to see that, that it's not, he's not like water, vapor, and ice, right? I mean, that would, that would be a very short confession of faith. Yeah, that we believe in the Trinity, like water, vapor, and ice, which is what? Um, that's going to be, it's not on the board. Modalism. Modalism. Modalism, Yeah which means that God swapped hats, right? That he was in the Old Testament working as the Father, in the New Testament working as the Son, and today works as the Holy Spirit, but they don't believe in a, in, uh, in a triune God. And that's what the uh, first council that we talked about, the Nicene Creed, dealt with, with that heresy. And I don't have time to get into anything else, but... Be thinking about this. Read over some of this. And if you have questions, let me know. There is some deep, deep stuff, especially in this 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith. There's some great stuff in there. Um, I'm not going to dig into each one of these like I did the first two. Because these, I think, kind of state the same things that we've already covered. 
it just gives it just does it in more words right so it just does it in more words but I think it I think they're well stated um, all right so is there any less thought uh, is there any any other thoughts or questions or last statements or words of wisdom Rick